What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling and cousin of the pod, Chris Trevino. We're back. The boys are back in town. <laughs> The boys have been in town. You're back. <laughs> yeah, You're but back. I'm part of the boys. Do, do we even want her back? <laughs> it was it was nice while it lasted. <laughs> wow. The boys, one of one episode. Hopefully we get our two of two down the line. You know, maybe we'll win a free vacation in a couple months. Oh, that's maybe... fine by me. I heard the slander on last episode. So you didn't listen to the whole episode. I did. I listened to the parts that I need to listen to in order oh, to smack like, y'all around. Like I'm she back. was taking notes. Eight yep. minutes of it. Exactly. Exactly. No, but we're back. We have a good episode for you guys today. We have a lot to talk about. Um, Jay Toya enters the NCAA transfer portal. Uh, the dead period is dead. It took a while, but DOA, it's dead. Did you just check your watch to see? Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. Uh, it's time. <laughs> June 1st, it died. Should uh, you a quarter now? Yes, I am. A doctor? Like, uh, a market, rec- market. A recruiting corner. How about that? <laughs> Uh, we'll talk about a commitment that USC picked up before June 1st. Got it popping early. And then we'll discuss Reggie Bush. He came back up in the news this week. We'll tell you why. Stay tuned. Look at that teaser. Oh, always good to talk about Reggie Bush. Mm-hmm. As a reminder, you guys can email us your questions or submissions to the pod at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. You can also look out for a tweet from Mr. Shotgun Spratling. He tweets them out, and we love reading your questions and your comments. So be sure to do that. We love the feedback we get from you guys. But like I said, guys, some news happened in between the last Family Feud podcast. True freshman Jay Toya entered the NCAA transfer portal. Surprising news. He's actually a guy we talked about at the end of spring camp, a guy whose stock had risen over the course of that first spring camp that he had, I guess overall thoughts from the news. Keely, true or false, you were on a beach drinking a Mai Tai when that, that news came on. I was beachside, yes. How about that? Mai Tai? You will not confirm it? No, okay. I did not have one. Well, yes, it was, a, <laughs> it was easily the most shocking thing that's happened this year in what was going to be a slow month, a slow summer. Uh, for USC, and then all of a sudden, we get all these alerts that one David Toya is in the transfer portal. And first of all, yeah, Jay Toya is not his real name, and David Toya caused a bunch of confusion when we were trying to lock down what was happening because initially it made no sense. You had this freshman who came on really strong in spring out of necessity and also because he was playing really well playing with the first team, playing with the second team, and looking like he was going to start right in the middle of that defense or at the very least be on the two deep and compete with uh, Ishmael Sopcher when he came back in the summer fall. So just right off the bat, very confusing and bewildering in a surprise move. Yeah, it was a whole total head-scratcher. Just like, wait, what? Jay Toya? 
Like of all the people that were on the roster, like especially of the freshmen, it didn't make any sense. There's some other freshmen that are competing for positions. You go, okay, I could see they feel like they're not going to get an opportunity. There's other guys that are possibly coming in. This guy's already worked his way up the ranks and is in position for a starting spot, in part because of Brandon Peely's Achilles injury, but also Sopcher didn't practice at all in the spring. So he's the guy that's worked his way up and is getting first-team reps and you know, a ton of potential there, a ton of talent. Everything sounded like he was enjoying himself. We, you know, we find out that it's not academic at all because he's one of the the few freshmen that's on the academic honor roll for the spring. So you're just like, this doesn't make any sense at all. Like this is the the ideal way you want to go through your spring uh, camp. You know, you want to come in early as an early enrollee, and you want to be able to work your way up and be in position going into fall camp to maybe make the two deep. Like if that happens as a freshman, you're like, okay, I've done my job. Yeah. And he's surpassed that. He's on the two deep for sure, and quite possibly is going to be the starter. And then suddenly he's in the transfer portal. It's a huge total head scratcher there. Especially when you think about the fact that he committed to USC as a sophomore. Now I understand that can go two ways. Like, oh, I committed too early and then I didn't really get the process and COVID happened, of course, but You'd think that he's a guy who understands what he's getting himself into for as long as he's been committed. And his cousin, Stanley Taofu, has been in the program. So he he was definitely familiar with what he was entering. Yeah, I could see making the argument that it makes a lot more sense if Jay had committed like in February in National Signing Day. Like he had just made the decision at the tail end, maybe he's having second thoughts about making his choice. Sorry, not February because he would have been enrolled. But he made that that choice in December, signed, and then enrolled, and he took it all the way up to that point. That maybe you know he had you know second thoughts, kind of like Bruno McCoy kind of did with his thing. But no, like you said, Jay has been committed for a long time. He committed. I still remember writing that story, getting the alert. Like I have no idea who this kid is, but he's big. <laughs> he's big, and you know there was points where we thought. Jay might leave that class just because, you know, he had a change with the defensive line coach. Uh, Johnny Nansen was his primary recruiter. He went across town to UCLA, committed to Johnny. You felt like, oh, UCLA, it's also local. Maybe he can get him to flip. That was a real possibility. But no, USC held on, held strong to that commitment, and then just adds to the confusion the confusion and the, be- the bewilderment of this uh, transfer. Yeah, exactly what you guys said. I mean, he's been committed for forever, basically, in this class. is the the longest committed player that's remained in the class and signed with USC. UCLA does make that late push with Johnny Nansen, and he basically rebuffs those those overtures and, and goes to USC, signs with them, and having success. And like Keeley said, having a cousin on the team. So you get the family, you know, um, you got the family connection there as well. So there's just so many things that just like don't make sense of there's so many other things that could be going on that don't fit. Like that, that might make sense. Like, okay, I can see why that guy is leaving. None of it makes sense here. And then comes out and he releases a statement afterwards. And part of it is the, you know, the recruiting process is what, you know, the, the statement made it sound like at least. The part that really stood out to me was the 2020 pandemic was tragic to so many that lost so much. For me, and especially my parents, we felt forced to make a major decision signing with USC based on limited information because of COVID-19 restrictions. We were not able to take any official or unofficial visits to any of the other schools on our shortlist, such as Michigan, Utah, UCLA, Miami, and among others. So that kind of explains, you know, I guess 
the motive for doing this. Like, you know, he didn't feel like he got a, uh, the full experience out of the process. And that's true. And I do sympathize with him in that regard. Like, yeah, the 2020 recruits, a lot of them lost out. You didn't get to go through the full process. You didn't get to have in-home visits. You didn't get to have those one-on-one meetings. You didn't get to go on campus. You didn't have to give, you didn't have to go on official visits. And, you know, some kids were able to do what I like to call unofficial, unofficial visits where they take those self-guided tours. You know, some people could fly out to, you know, Utah to take a trip. Some kids flew into USC to take a trip. You know, Jay Toy and his family were not in that position, so I sympathize with them that they didn't have the same opportunity that other kids had. But it just it just still seems weird just because you have been committed for two whole years. You 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 know the program from Stanley. He's been giving you information. He knows how it works. And even if you're making the argument that he didn't like commit to Vic Soto, who came in who came in late, um, Stanley still played for him for a year. So he still can give you insight. He can still tell you like, oh, it's going to be like this. Oh, he's a little bit harder, but you know, I, I like it. So he could still give you insight on what Vic is like as a coach. So I know that's been thrown around on Twitter. Maybe like he didn't like he didn't mesh well with Vic. Um, but still, it, there's just a lot of questions still to be unanswered. Yeah, and I can understand if you want to go through the process, maybe that, that's why you do this. But it, when it says me and my parents decided this, it just reeks of outside influence of him not making this decision himself. And now he's an 18-year-old kid. Some kids don't mature until – I didn't mature probably until I was 25 if, I've ever, if I ever do mature. Keely's looking at me. Yep, thank you for, for that. Uh, <laughs> debatable. It's debatable. Yeah. debatable, yeah. Um, so maybe that's part of it, and he needs the, the guidance of his family members. But when you've made a college decision, you've gone through a semester, it's just really strange when things are all pointing in the right direction of where you want to be going, at least as far as a football player and academics – that you suddenly decide, you know, this is not the, the place for me, which makes me think that, you know, other people are kind of pressuring, like, we should go on these visits. We should check these other things out. Who's we? I'm the one making this. This is my life. This is, I'm, I'm the player. No, we should do this. We should do that. And that's what it feels like a lot when, you know, the parents are mentioned in the statement. They're, they sign their name at the end of the statement as well. So it, it feels like, and for some kids, it's a family decision. Mom and dad have to sign off on it. But usually once it's signed off on, it's done. And you, you let an 18-year-old go be an 18-year-old, go be a young adult, and, and make their own decisions from there. And apparently that wasn't the case here. And one other thing from reading the statement, it just doesn't read like he's still considering USC. Because usually when you have these like transfer, there's usually a line like, and I'm still considering USC, um, just something, or uh, the whatever school I'm leaving, it it just the door's still open, yeah, et cetera. The door's still open, stuff like that. It just this statement did not read like that. So I don't know. He, and he has options, obviously. So maybe it, it just read like it was a cl- like a clean break. I mean, like if, you, if anyone's you know reading our reports or reading any of the USC beat reports that you know from other schools, they'd be like, okay, that guy's making plays already, and you know he's probably got his own tape from practices and stuff that he can ship out to to you know these other programs. He's already visited. He went up to San Jose State where his brother is at. He already went to Cal and Stanford, stopped by their um, campuses. He went to UCLA. He's got an official visit uh, set up for Michigan, I believe, coming up. So he's already on the path, making making the rounds around. So, And the fact that, like you said, because a lot of times it's usually with decommits, you'll see, and this is kind of a decommitment, uh, that you'll see, I'm still considering, 
you know, the original place. And you go, are you really? Because that's usually not the case. There's very few times that anyone decommits and then recommits to the place. It happens every once in a while. But when that does happen, it is in that statement, like, I'm still considering. It's basically the equivalent of, I still want to be friends after a breakup. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> but at least it was nice of you to say that. But I, I'm reading through it. And this feels like a breakup because, you know, he's already going out posting with other people. He's already posting with the Bruins. He's going to post with the Wolverines in a couple days on his official. Posting up on Stanford and Cal. There's some shimmying happening right now. Visual bit? Um, yeah, th- I guess I was shimmying. Sorry. You were. And, and one of the things that for him, the Pac-12 recently, a couple weeks ago, eliminated the interconference transfer rules, which has been a big stickler with Washington, actually. You know, they were holding up Ethan Garber's transfer to UCLA. They did the same thing with a quarterback a couple years ago to UCLA. Um, but that the Pac-12 uh, agreed to eliminate that, so there will be no extra time that he has to sit out. And with the new NCAA one-time transfer rule, he is allowed to transfer. Now, there has been some questions about would that apply to him because he's in the 2020 class, and so not exactly sure on that. He may have to sit this season out, um, but he will be able to transfer within the, the Pac-12 without any extra penalties other than the NCAA. And a good point was brought up in the war room, and this is also the plug to subscribe so you can read The War Room because we go into more detail about the situation in that. Uh, but the point was made in The War Room about how when this situation happened with Brew McCoy, when he wanted to transfer to Texas, USC was like, okay, we can tell you want to go. We'll sign off. Will USC do the same thing where they'll sign off on him leaving or are they going to fight this somehow if they feel like they're wronged or something? Yeah, the, the thing with the 2020, you know, him being in 2020, you know, can he get a hardship waiver or something from the NCAA that allows him? USC would have to sign off on that versus the, you know, if he transfers in conference, a lot of times at school can sign off of that and there's not a penalty, which is the deal with, with Washington and them not doing that for a couple of kids. Um, so it's been a kind of a stickler and kind of an issue there. But USC, I mean, it sounded like from what we've heard, they've been trying to fight fight back and say, no, you, you need to stay. They're trying to fight for him to, to get him to stay. Yeah. Um, but it just doesn't have that feel right now. And if I'm USC, you know, you, you don't want to hold a kid hostage, but also you're like, you can't just make a decision and come into our class and we've already set everything up and, you know, we're expecting you to be a part of this. We're already looking at you in the, you know, in, in the too deep and potentially starting for us in a couple months and suddenly you just, you just bail on us you know there there's got to be consequences repercussions of those type of actions as well we know clay helton is the nice guy and most of the times you would be like he's gonna sign off on that but i just feel like there's just so many questions and it just feels weird that i think you just have to fight it i think you have to press forward i know you don't like you say you don't want to hold the kid hostage but this thing is only gonna it's, it's gonna set a precedent it's gonna even get even crazier for the portal and stuff like this happening if you you don't try to like get ahead of it. Well, if you read the the way his social media statement reads, it seems like he's angling for a hardship waiver. You know, the way he's saying like COVID and whatnot, you know? It's interesting that, I mean, if you did want to take visits, this is what would have to happen. Like you wouldn't be like, I really want to take visits. I want to see this. You might as well go through the spring and actually get some practice in, especially with the at the time the unknowns of california whether they're going to play a spring schedule or not uh like okay well i want to go ahead and get some spring practice so i'm gonna to go to usc for now and then after the spring we're going to open it up and see what happens 
But the fact that USC is not in it, now what would be hilarious to me is if he starts taking official visits, takes his five, and USC is one of his official visits. I just want to see what it's like on an official visit weekend. There would be no use in it at all. But Who would host him? Oh, Stanley's got to host him, right? I it's guess. Vic Soto will host him. He's like, I'll, look, I'll take the official, but everyone has to pretend like nothing happened. <laughs> there has to be no reference to spring. Everyone has to pretend I'm just this true freshman that committed, and it's my last visit. You have to pretend for – you have to just do it. Anyway. Look, that whole segment was a little heavy. Let us have our jokes. Okay, fine. Let I just don't want to be disrespectful to any uh, – We called him Elephant Head play. for like a whole episode. We did not. His you're head coach of, did. You're part of this. Anyway, as what normally happens with college football drama, stay tuned. It's an evolving situation. There's always drama. Yeah. There's always something. Chris is like, oh, it's going to be a slow month. No, Chris. It's never a slow month. It Chris was just summoned a slow month. Avalanche. May was boring. And then well, dropped this Well, could make it all the way through. The calendar is now moved into June. However, there's always drama, Chris. You, you don't get a down month. That doesn't happen just because you thought it would happen Look, in May. Look, I thought I could. I thought I could sneak by. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's a rookie mistake. I'm sorry. So we have, you know, Jay Toy going into the transfer portal. A USC player is coming out of the transfer portal, it looks like. And that would be Manir McLean, who entered the transfer portal after not playing, was suspended last year by the school. There was a federal investigation um, about the EDD checks or something to go on, on there off the field. And, you know, he wasn't able to play, thought he was going to be able to. His brother transferred to Jackson State you know, before the end of the semester. We were waiting around. Maneer McLean entered the transfer portal, came back out of the transfer portal, went back into the transfer portal, and now he has committed to Utah on Tuesday or Wednesday. What day are we? It's Wednesday, Shotgun. He committed to, to Utah on Wednesday. So, you know, and that goes back to the Pac-12 interconference transfer. So he's going to be able to go there and should be able to play immediately as long as they clear him, um, unlike USC wouldn't, which is part of the reason why we, we kind of felt this was inevitable, just because USC didn't seem like they were going to budge at all on the situation and his suspension there. And because of that, you know, he wanted to stay at USC, it seemed like. When you, when you go into the transfer portal and come back out that, and your brother already has left, that tells you that you want to be at USC. But with the way that USC wasn't going to, you know, didn't seem like they were going to budge, he had to make a, a decision. And he goes to Utah, and Utah is building a stacked recruiting class in the transfer portal. They've got a number of guys that have come in from the transfer portal. It's going to be interesting. Their recruiting rankings won't look good as far as the recruiting class, as far as the high school class. But if you include the transfer portal, and I think that's eventually going to have to be changed. You'd have to, yeah. That You're going to have to look at it as your recruiting class is not only who you bring in from high school is going to be who you bring in as transfers. I don't know how we're going to figure that out at 24-7 and how exactly those ratings are going to work. But their recruiting class is going to look really nice with the transfers they have coming in. They have some impact guys coming in, starting with uh, Brewer, the quarterback from Baylor that came in and had a pretty good spring, it sounded like. All I can add to this Utah segment of the USC podcast is... <laughs> oh, you mean a Pac-12 South opponent that could be the... Fair enough. You know, be the biggest challenger to USC? I was just waiting for you to go into full pre season preview right there. <laughs> but We're getting close. I'm happy that Munir McLean has found a new home. I like the fit for him. We saw what he could do in spring when he was healthy and eligible. He had a great early spring camp when he enrolled. 
got banged up, unfortunately, had the ACL injury during a game. I can't remember what that game was. Arizona, I believe, the one that everyone got decimated, the injury game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm happy for him. I got to know him quite well. Me and Keeley did during the recruiting process. We're working on that inside look with him. So wish him the best. That's all I can add to that. Plus one. Plus one on that. Real quick, just look at the transfers that Utah has brought in. And a lot of these are SoCal guys, which is why I want to point this out. TJ Pledger, Shamanad from Oklahoma to USC. Chris Curry, the running back from LSU to Utah. Um, you're bringing in Theo Howard, former local uh, kid that went to UCLA, went to Oklahoma, now at Utah. You've got uh, Brandon McKinney, another kid from local Olu kid. Went to Washington, now at, at Utah. Josh Calvert, another local kid from Washington to Utah. So they're getting a lot of SoCal kids through the transfer portal and at several other you know Pac-12 schools and at Oklahoma as well. So they brought in a number of players that USC was actually in contention for coming out of high school that ended up at other schools. Now they're at Utah. So they've, they've sacked some talent there in some classes after losing a ton of talent two years ago. And now they're, they're backfilling a little bit to add to the, that really impressive uh, freshman class that they had last year with some of those DBs and stuff that played immediately. That was great, Shotgun. Can't wait for you to do Arizona State next time we uh, record. <laughs> well, it's time to hold the funeral for the dead period. Because the dead period is dead, ladies and gentlemen. That's the funeral march, right? For the, for the dead period. We'll it say it like, is. We'll say like it the is. Olympics to me. Sounded fun, yeah, because we're tired of the dead period. Yes. Glad it's over. Yes. I mean, first question for y'all, how crazy is June going to be just for college football recruiting? <laughs> it's it's going to be ridiculous because there's so many kids trying to see so many places at once. Um, and it, it's interesting, there was actually a midnight madness type effect, which you see in college basketball where teams will host – you know, these late night games, the first time they can practice and stuff, the hostman midnight is kind of a fundraiser type of thing, um, you, you know, a uh, pep rally as well. Well, you saw some schools bringing in recruits. Hey, we can't get you here until midnight. They step on campus at midnight. So, I mean, Florida State was the one I saw the most of, and they did it up as big as they could. And that's the type of statement you need to make at a school like Florida State, who's been struggling a lot, um, but is a, you know, typically a really good program that recruits really well in in the ACC and in a hotbed of talent in the Florida State but they brought in kids from all over the country including a couple USC targets there including Javante Barnes one of their top running back targets from Desert Pines in Las Vegas so you know I was curious to see what USC would do we didn't see anything necessarily at midnight but they have already had some kids some local kids on on campus for visits they've already had some out-of-state kids on campus um, for, for some unofficial visits as well so you know, everyone is it's going to be just jam packed, and there's some different rules right now. With you can do some individual evaluations, which is kind of interesting. You know, you can put the catapult system on someone, see how fast they're actually running. You know, the miles per hour. You can you know put those metrics, but it's one on one. It has to be with a position coach. So there's some limitations to it, but because there was no spring evaluation, there was no fall season for. California kids, but you're getting a chance to evaluate if you're if your coaches on campus as well as recruit. So I think that's really interesting, and that's what makes it so dynamic. Because I want to listen to some of these kids and talk to them and say, okay, well, what did they put you through? What did they want to see about you? What was different? You know, they've seen your tape from two years ago, but now they want. What did they want to see? You know, in person that maybe was a little bit different than what they could see on tape. 
Yeah, I'm tired of phrasing the question, well, where are you going to visit if you could visit? <laughs> now you can actually visit. And if you could listen closely, that's the sound of a college football uh, booking agent crying from all the tickets they have to book for this month. <laughs> Some poor intern just weeping, weeping at their desk at 3 a.m. at night trying to book a kid from Florida all the way out to Wisconsin. That ha- That is actually a skill, I think, that... Hopefully, each each staff has someone that actually that has just it. knows it. That's got booking yeah, flights, that has it down. travel, and like. Have you ever tried to plan tr- uh, travel for someone in a place where you're not? Like, I bought my dad some plane tickets because my dad struggling to use the internet, and it's just like, oh my god! Like, all right, what time can you get to the airport? Okay, what what like just figuring out all the different. And then you have no control. It's like they're either going to show up or they're not. <laughs> and if I was, I would, I'd be stressing like, oh, please have this five star recruit and his family show up at t- on time. I don't want to get the text like, hey, I missed the flight. Can you rebook me again? Like, <laughs> ooh, you better be a Hall of Famer. You better be a Hall of Famer, or I'm going to get my ass chewed out by Dabo if I don't get another flight. There is a like a flat tire thing that they reschedule you you know how i know this shotgun made us miss a flight one time so they do reschedule if you're tire? close yeah they, they call it a flat tire rule where like they assume you had like a flat tire on the way to the airport and that's why you missed your flight yeah i stabbed our tire on accident he flat did tire. Yeah. to get out of it no you could just say that you didn't actually have to stab the tire well it was keely's car so i didn't really care well, shouts to the lady who helped us get to colorado <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say shout out i wasn't there why am i shouting it out <laughs> Well, going because I'm still alive today because of it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Getting us back on track. Uh, yes, USC did not have some big midnight madness kind of thing, and it seems like they're going to be more steady. They're not going to go hard early. They're just going to have a nice steady flow throughout the the next four weeks. They have a lot of official visits packed for every week. They have two scheduled elite camps coming up at the end of the month. So. And I'm sure they're going to have a lot of individual workouts going on with some prospects. And just a note on that, you could it could only be a 2022 prospect or a JUCO or a transfer portal prospect. So you can't bring in like a 2024 or 2023. So it has to be the current class, which I think is fair. Otherwise, they'd just probably be insane. And I don't want to work out every kid. And and you're going to get those chances to evaluate those mm-hmm. kids in future spring camps. So I think that is a really good way that they did it to give coaches a chance. Like, okay, we haven't been able to see this kid on a field you know, in a year and a half. We need to see what he can do. Um, and that gives him a great opportunity, especially because of the summer camps, that's the big difference. Because a lot of times you're bringing in those those sophomores, those juniors, to see them in those elite camps, to see how they perform against other people, but also to to measure them, to, to, to get their height, get their weight, you know, check their 40, do all those type of things. You're doing all that in those camps as well. So it's a, it's a good opportunity for the coaches to find out what they've been missing out on in this process. But like you talked about, you mentioned three different groups, the 2022, the JUCO, but also the transfer portal. And there's so many kids in the transfer portal that there's just so many kids right now that can be visiting that that those official visits are a little bit sacred right now. And you've seen USC a little bit with this. We've been you know putting in the war room again, you know, subscribe so that you guys can see who exactly is going Plug. to be you know taking official visits. But that list has, you know, definitely changed. It's evolving. Yeah, it's evolved a lot. You know, it's been very malleable. It's been, there's been, you know, yeah, we want to get this guy in. Eh, I don't know if he's really feeling us enough to use one of those official visits because they're not unlimited. They're not. You have a finite amount, 
And I know it's crazy because you you want to be like, all right, the dead period's over. Let's let's get them all in, get them all in. But you have to kind of <laughs> settle yourself down because you gotta you gotta you gotta pace yourself, and you gotta look at it. I mean. I always say that college Division One college baseball recruiting is the most difficult thing in all of athletics, particularly college athletics, because you're not only dealing with the draft uh, and the possibility of guys signing there. You're trying to recruit them. You're dealing with only 11.7 scholarships. You know, so you're not giving out full rides. But then, you, generally, your best players are leaving as juniors. Okay, if a guy doesn't have a good year, have you already given his money away? It, it's just, you know, balancing all that is the most difficult thing. But this is coming close to it because there is so much juggling going on with official visits, with these evaluations, with all these different things because you just haven't had an opportunity to. And now you're, uh, you know, juggling those uh, official visits. All right, who can we bring in? Who do we bring in in the summer because we want to get kids on campus, we want to build that hype? Versus who do we wait? Who's going to commit right now during the summer, or who's going to wait and you know play it out till signing day? Okay, well, we want to wait and get those guys in towards the end of the season at a big game, and you know the fans should be back this year. So that seems like you know all those type things you're kind of balancing and trying to figure out. So it's going to take a true, you know, full staff effort. And good for USC, it's good that they've beefed up their recruiting staff. Their, you know, those ancillary positions alongside the actual on-field coaches to help in this process because it's going to be a very difficult one for all schools and for USC they really need to capitalize on this class and there's a couple positions in particular where they really need to to, to do really well on. With how long the dead period was, do you feel like that time might produce like innovations or something we haven't seen in the recruiting world just because people have sat on it for so long I mean like we saw with spring camp like USC was super excited just to be back on the field in spring just because they didn't have it like taking away the ability to recruit do you think that will cause a different thing a path forward uh in recruiting do you think there's been an evolution from recruiting? I think so. When you look at the Zoom technologies and stuff, just being able to see people face to face, you know, maybe they'll have a meeting with multiple staff members instead of just passing a phone around. I mean, FaceTime, you know, that was you know a, a se- separate step in the evolution of recruiting because you want to get face to face with a coach. Well, you can't always do that, but now you can do that as much as you want. You know, calling a kid, those type of things. So there have been those small steps. Has there anything that's been that stood out to me as far as the jump just because of the dead period? Uh, versus kind of the pandemic itself, I don't. Uh, nothing jumps to mind. I don't know about you, Chris. No, but w- do you think something will come out of it because of that? It's kind of a, a hypothetical, so my apologies, Shotgun. Honestly, the the midnight madness aspect of it, I think that might be something that schools jump on and say, you know, if we can bring in, even if it's like five kids, like you have your five elite kids that you really, really like, top of your board kids. If you can convince them, like you bring them in that that the first time that the period opens up for recruiting, whatever portion of the year it is, and say, you guys are the guys we want so bad that we decided to bring you in and do this special thing just for you. Um, So I think that might be something because it's kind of an extenuation of like the junior day type of thing. But those junior day events, um, I can't remember who said it, but I think it was Huffman when I had him on the podcast was talking about how He's talked to coaches and they say, we bring in 100 kids for these junior day events and 95 of those kids or 90 of those kids are just to appease the high school coaches and just to you know be friendly with the seven-on-seven coaches and keep those relationships where it's 10 guys that we really want. 
well, maybe the Midnight Madness becomes something where it's these are the guys we really, really want. We bring them in, make it really special for them, and, and do something unique with it. I don't know. It, it could be something. It could be another another unique event that comes out of this. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Midnight Madness in the college basketball world. You know, Maryland is a big college basketball school, so that was a big thing over there. So I really like the spectacle of that. And kids love the event. And also, like with anything, exclusivity. Mm-hmm. If you pare it down to like, hey, we're going to get five, four or five of our big commits, bring in five massive targets, get them on at midnight, it's almost like it's a party, like you're going to a party yeah, at the sure. school. So if you find a way to build it up and make it that yeah i think it I, you can see that taking off um at other schools but for right now i don't i don't have a great answer to your question just because it, yeah I, it's too early you I'm went sorry. big brain on us i'm sorry you, you didn't even prepare she didn't prep us for that she was just like i'm gonna throw this out speaking of midnight madness kevin green jr wanted in on that action but before midnight <laughs> i'll say uh, he committed to USC on May 31st, uh, which was special for the Green family because it was his father's birthday. Uh, he's a four-star wide receiver out of Mission Hills, California. He's a two-way player. He's an athlete. I believe in the composite, he's a three-star athlete, but 247 has him as a four-star wide receiver. I believe Greg Biggins compared him to a Max Williams in the way that he plays. Shotgun got to see him. Oh, shoddy. So Jumping. Greg and I actually were at the same game, um, the Bishop Alamany Shamanet night game. And what he's talking about is that Kevin Green flies around with the intensity, playing safety, flies around with the intensity of a Taylor Mays body. Someone who has you know the frame of you know a Max Williams. You know he's he's slight. He's five eleven. I think he's one hundred sixty five pounds. Is what he's listed at. He wouldn't make it as a safety at the next level. I don't think. Uh, just because he's so slight, and like he got banged up a couple times because of the way he plays, um, I just don't think that he would make it at the next level playing with that style consistently. He's just going to take too many hits and be injured. But as a wide receiver, he's going to be a slot wide receiver for USC potentially. He has speed, um, he has quickness. He had a, a couple touchdowns. He had a third touchdown that was bobbled, so it was right out, out of bounds. Um, so would have been a touchdown. So he had you know a, a pretty good game in that game. He was their top target. They had multiple guys trying to defend him, and you know he still put up pretty good numbers there. Has a connection with Miller Moss. Miller Moss was the quarterback at Bishop Alamany two years ago. So he threw for you know, or he had nearly a, uh, over a thousand yards receiving with Miller Moss and eight touchdowns. So there'll be a connection there. It's interesting, and what I take away from this, and, and Chris, you can fill in your thoughts on, on Kevin Green after this, but what is interesting to me is that all of USC's receivers that they've gotten committed recently, in the last, what, six months or so, have all been slot type of receivers. Smaller guys, quick, you know, with agility, more than your big body, Brew McCoys, Michael Pittman Jr.'s, Kyle Fords, that are you're going to play on the outside. Now, the difference is you, you do have a guy like Michael Trigg who's a tight end that's the big body, and they're going to use him potentially at receiver. But all the other guys that they're bringing in are pretty much you know smaller guys that you see as interior receivers. It's not six months, but USC did sign a big body receiver in Joseph Manjack, who, as you might recall in our Helium Boys, I picked as someone I'm excited to see. He is a bigger body, but also you're right. They have been more slighter guys, quicker guys, and that fits that, you know, the mismatching in an air raid. You want to take advantage of those mismatches. You want to go over the top, and I'm still waiting to go over the top with Gary Bryant. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting to pop the cork off one. I just use it. 
I don't understand. They had Valus Jones. He has great straight line speed. Never just put him in the slot. Just as a decoy. Force the defense back farther. That's not something that was in their offense. So until I see it, I'm not trusting that they're going to do it. Now, they'll throw some fades on the outside, but put him in the slot, and you force the safeties to take over. That opens up that big gap in the middle for a guy like Drake London or Michael Trigg to come in behind Gary Bryant. There's just so many other options that I think are available there that we haven't consistently seen in their offense. So I'm waiting to see it. Baited him into a rant. <laughs> Love it. And just another note on Kevin Green. You don't even need bait. Put that. Yeah, I know it's fun. Metal hook fun. in there. It's and fun he'll when I can, jump away. It's fun when I can puppet him. You know, it's just fun when I can puppet him. Yeah. But another note on Kevin Green. His older brother is Mikel Wright mm-hmm. at Oregon. Great point. Um. So Dante, up close and personal, coach recruited uh, Mikel, who's since his freshman year has surged into like a top Pac-12 defender, and you know, trending in the right direction to be a pretty good NFL draft pick. Uh, in this next this next draft, if all things go right, and USC fans should remember him from his kick return abilities as well. Squib kick, squib kick gate, <laughs> and so Dante obviously knows the bloodline. He's like, I love what I had in Mikel Wright. I want more of that bloodline. So we're gonna go get Kevin Green. So I think that also speaks to kind of the ability or potential that uh, Dante sees in him. And Dante is probably his primary recruiter. I know there's a couple guys that were um, in this recruitment, but. That tells you that if, for some reason, something's not working out a receiver, he might end up on the DB side. Now, I think if he goes to the DB side, I think he has to play cornerback. Uh, again, I just unless he's putting on 25 pounds or 30 pounds, I just don't think his body's going to be able to sustain, um, you know, to hold up from the wear and tear that you would have at a safety position, even that nickel safety spot, which Max Williams, because you saw how much Max Williams was making tackles out there, open field tackles, using your shoulders, you know, diving and taking out guys' legs. Just the the wear and tear there, I don't think he would have to be a cornerback, and I don't know if that's in his skill set. I haven't seen him play that position. So I think he's definitely more of an offensive guy for USC. Just one last thing, he was Miller Moss's favorite target two years ago. So Keep that in mind if Miller Moss is to eventually win the USC job, the quarterback job at USC, maybe then Kevin Green becomes similar to Amon Ross St. Brown with JT Daniels, just that convenient um, blanket in the slot that you feel that you can throw to whenever you want. Very quickly, Chris, and only Chris, because I don't want this to be a 30-minute tangent. Wow. You know what I'm talking about. I'm so succinct. Get him. Kevin Green becomes the sixth commit. In USC's 22 class. It's weird putting my mouth around 2022. We're old. How is this class shaping up right now? And what do you envision? Yeah, right now, six strong. Number 22 in the nation. Number two in the Pac-12. A lot of skill right now. You got those two cornerbacks. You have your five-star, which is a nice head start on that. You have a, a nice rising QB in Devin Brown, whose stock is really soaring. Elite 11 guy. You have Keon Burnett, the tight end. You have Ty Kana, Kana, the linebacker out of Texas, and then Kevin Green. So a lot of skill. I think you're going to want more beef, obviously. I know that's you still need to add on the trenches, especially with the Jay Toya departure. You need some defensive line help. They're hosting some some big offensive linemen, some big defensive linemen out of the South. Michael Williams, Christian Miller are coming in for visits. Those are going to be huge. So you want to you, you like what the class is going right now. A little too much skill because you need some beef. That's all I'm going to say. You need some beef. I would like to see a little more linebacker. I think you're going to need more linebacker help. But the problem is 
the talk has been like the 2022 class is going to be significantly smaller, not just with USC, but a lot of a lot of schools. So they're going to have to be selective uh, with this class, doing some arm stuff, a little visual bits. You are. Um, so I think they're going to have to be selective. I think they're going to be in, in a position with the way they're recruiting to be a little selective. They're going to be like, all right, let's take this guy, hold off on this guy a little bit. So it's going to be an interesting juggling act con- uh, as we project it to be a smaller class than typical. Um especially after they took so many transfers last year. So good good foundation. Good foundation. Just need to do more work on the O-line, and then obviously if you can get some big defensive linemen, money. It's basically the same thing that's been problematic for them sure. recently is can they get linemen? And part of that is you talked about the guys that are in this class are skill guys. They're all West Coast guys yep. in the West region, and they're really going after the beef in the South those guys are harder to get committed, especially early. So that might be part of the kind of the, the class plays out if it plays out the way USC wants. Is they'll start with the skill guys that are local, and then hopefully add some out of state talent to the offense and defensive lines from other parts of the country. So for our final topicy topic, topicy topic, Reggie Bush is on the ballot for the College Football Hall of Fame. Now, the interesting thing about this is, obviously, if you're a USC fan, you know that the disassociation with Reggie Bush ended over the summer. And because of that, he's finally able to be nominated for the Hall of Fame uh, because otherwise he would have been on the ballot in 2017. So this is a development because of that 10-year ban. It's now over. Yeah, the school has to nominate the players, I believe, is the case. So USC was not able to and wasn't going to while he was being disassociated. But now he's off. They had a decision make. And you can see that USC is continuing down the we love Reggie Bush path and are nominating him, which is interesting. Just the conversation is like, is he a Hall of Famer or is this like the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame where it's like, oh, does there off-field transgressions, does that affect whether or not you look (laughs) Boo. And what's worse in baseball is that it's so indiscriminate. Like, oh, yeah, we care about this guy's off-the-field things, but we don't care about him. He was fine. Well, the ballot was emailed to more than 12,000 National Football Foundation members and current Hall of Famers. So those are the people who are going to decide. I believe everyone gets to vote, like, I think they get to vote for 12 people. There's like 75 on the ballot or a little bit more than that. So there's a lot of good names on there. There's a lot of good names just in the first time on the ballot, um, and but Reggie Bush's name definitely sticks out. I mean, he he's iconic, been the most iconic player in the in the last generation at least, and possibly even longer than that. Also, just a note about how it works. So the votes from the ballot sent to the twelve thousand members in the Hall of Famers, it's then tabulated and submitted to the NFS Honor Courts, which then deliberate. And select the class, which sounds like some shady college football back alley <laughs> organization, if I'm being completely honest. I would love to have Shotgun in on one of those debates. He would fit it right in. Also, yes, we're talking about Reggie Bush, but also two other Trojans were nominated. Yes. Jeff Bregel and Mark Carrier. Also, Trojan Graham, by association? Trojan by association. Graham Harrell, offensive coordinator, on the ballot through Texas Tech, so... Congrats to all those guys, and be pretty cool to be nominated while you're, you know, still coaching. Like <laughs> Hall of Fame, put that on my card. Flex on him, flex on him. 
One of the interesting things is usually only one player from each school will get in. There's usually not multiple players from a school. Sorry, Jeff. Um, no, for, for also Jeff, but also <laughs> for for Graham Harrell, Michael Crabtree is also in the ballot. So I think Ooh, that's a tough one. I think Crabtree's getting in before his quarterback. I think Harrell's getting in. Mm, you think? I think Harold's getting in. <laughs> what oh. is that voice? A lot of records. Also. Uh, from by both of them. Yeah. Andrew Luck, Marshawn Lynch, also on the ballot. Beast mode. I think just that cart performance. <laughs> Cinnamon, folks. I think that should be nominated on its own. Yeah. <laughs> that's in the cart. Yeah, NFT that baby. I'll pay for that. <laughs> they should play that up as a... I'm sure they do highlights when they get nominated. Put that in there. Mm-hmm. The College Football Hall of Fame, uh, I believe, is in Atlanta, Georgia, and yes. I think Keeley has gone to it. I don't know about Chris. I've gone to it. Really fun. The, it's really cool. The Hall of Fame portion of it, because it's kind of a museum and interactive as well, but the Hall of Fame portion was really neat to me because there's touch screens and you rotate them and different things happen uh, as you rotate the screens, but you can select different players from different areas. It was really neat a way to do it rather than it just being a list of names or just being plaques or whatever it may be. I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was really well done. Yeah, you could see the highlights. You could. It was very uh, modern, if you will. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Well, now, I did say that was the last of our topic-y topics, so now we switch to questions. T-Max sent us a tweet that says, with official and unofficial visits in full swing and Jay Toya leaving, where are the Trojans at in regards to JT Tulimoloa? Thanks for another Family Feud podcast. Miss all the weekly podcasts. He also abbreviated, abbreviated it to FFP, which I've never done before for some reason. So thanks for that, it. T-Mac. <laughs> well, if you listened last week, bunch of plug-in with the Brandon Huffman pod that uh, <laughs> Shotgun did, but... As we know, he announced his five-visit official visit schedule for this month. USC is second in line after Washington, which he'll be taking this week. Shotgun is poo-pooing the fact that USC is getting a midweek visit. I'm not poo-pooing it. It was a point of debate is what it is. USC is going to get his visits, what is the 14th through 16th, I believe? Yes. Which is a Monday through a Wednesday. So there's two different ways to look at it. And that's what I was kind of going through. And Chris knows this. I will say something and then talk my way into the debate. He's going to talk himself into it. it. Watch. It's going to be great. So I asked the question. I was like, that tells you everything you need to know. Or does it? Because, you know, if you get a midweek visit, usually that's not good for a school. Usually because kids want to come on the weekend and they come on the weekend during the season. So you want to see the game. If you're getting a midweek in December or January, that's usually not a good sign. A kid just hasn't taken the time out to give you a, a full weekend. But with this crazy palooza that is June, is it a good sign that USC maybe even asked him, like, hey, we want you to come during the middle of the week because we want to have everyone all hands on deck just for you. We want to put our full Every every person, we're gonna have no one else visiting that day. You know, we're gonna put all our attention on you. You're that important to us. We gotta have you, you know, that type of thing. You know, especially when you point out, hey, we we just lost someone who had the initials JT. We gotta remove we gotta replace that. We gotta bring you in. We lost Jay Toya, and now we gotta bring in JT to Imoloal. And then right after that, he's going to Ohio State, Oregon, and then wrapping it all up with Alabama. Yeah, so you're gonna have to make a good impression, and you're gonna have to. And that's why I'm wondering: if, are, are, did USC ask to have the midweek so they can put everyone forward because they know they're bringing in all these other visitors on other dates? We want to, and just said 
we want you to come during the midweek because we want to have all our attention. We, you know, all these people want to visit us right now because the dead periods open up, but we want to make this special for you. We're we're trying to set up what dates are available for you where we can spend our you know we can put all of our assets, all of our staff forward, and show you what we're capable of. Uh, so maybe that's something that they intended to do. If it was USC's choice, it's a positive. If it was his choice, that's bad. So that's that's the question. Yeah, when do you want to go? Just a Monday. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. But we don't know yet. So, and you could expect. Obviously, he is a 2021. We have to stress that because it, he's the one taking this all the way down. Jay Toy did not have the the luxury or the cachet of JT to be able to like. No, I'm going to wait till June to make my decision. <laughs> Only one prospect gets to do that. So you would expect the the commitment to come shortly after this final visit. Yeah. So by the by July you should expect a um, a announcement and he will probably start to try to enter the depending on which school he goes to what their you know what their um, academic calendar is like you know he'll try to get into that second semester of or second session of summer to be able to get some time start getting the workouts in and stuff like that so I, I think you'll see a commitment come soon after but he's been all the entire time it's been all about wants to take these visits he wants his family to take these visits he wants to see these places and, and get out and have an opportunity and he didn't have that opportunity because he played basketball so when a lot of the kids were taking unofficial visits he didn't necessarily get a chance now he has visited usc previously but they're gonna have to put forth you know they're gonna have to bring out all the bells and whistles they're gonna do everything they can he is the number one player in the country and he is the number one target for usc there's no one in the 2021 class that was more important. Corey Foreman is right up there, but they have him. Now, if you can book in those two together, now you're talking elite pass rush. Elite pass rush changes everything for a defense. You had those two guys with Drake Jackson for at least one year, and then you have those two guys together for two more years, and you you know they'll those two guys playing together will sell the next guy and sell the next guy. And then you start putting forth what Ohio state produced for a five or six year run with the Bosa brothers, um, with chase young, with that whole group where they were putting out multiple defense alignment every single year in the, the NFL draft. So that's what USC could be on the line for USC. If they could get JT to him and he play he and Corey Foreman both play up to expectations. I kind of had the shotgun thing happen to me where I was changing my mind as you were talking <laughs> Because if you think about it, the type of visit you're going to put on for the number one prospect in the nation is completely different than anyone else. And so how much harder is that going to be if you have other people involved in the mix, other prospects? You're going to want, like you said, Jocelyn, to really isolate that and make it what it is and make it bigger than what you would do for a lower prospect. So I think it could be it could be turned into a positive. How about that? I'm curious to see who his host is. Is it Corey? I mean... Usually it's not a freshman. Well, Usually Corey's it's not on campus himself. But, should be soon. but what you should try to do is get Corey up there and talk to them together. Sell them on how they could play off each other. That would be a big key, and I think that's something they should really try to sell, is that, hey, they can't double-team you. We've got this other guy. And you bring in Drake Jackson and say, hey, we got this other guy. And say, you're going to get single coverage at least part of the time Whereas you go to another school, we we can't, you don't know if you're going to get that. If you go to Oregon, you know Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be gone. Is there is the next guy there that's going to be an elite pass rusher? You're going to get double teamed every single time, maybe triple teamed. You probably should come here. That's what you'd be selling it on. Uh, no, you should come here. Maybe you should be a recruiter, Shotgun. You're so I probably, passionate. I probably should. 
Probably should. Here's my question. If you've sat on the quote-unquote sideline of the recruiting process for this long, I feel like you kind of have your mind made up to a certain degree. Like, how much are these visits going to move the needle for JT? I just think because he didn't have that opportunity to experience the campuses and get out, it's not like he's gone on 15 unofficial visits. Yeah. This is more of a new experience for him. It's not like I've gone through a bunch of these and I just, you know, I want to be wined and dined. I think it's still a learning experience versus just, all right, let's see who treats me the best. No, I know. I, d- I just wonder if it's just who's going to push the rock down the mountain. Yeah, it it could be. You know, there could be already the – there. well, there, there is undoubtedly already a pecking order. Can anyone jump over anyone else? With the the longer it goes on with that pecking order staying the same, I, I think you bring up a good point that it makes it that much more difficult for that pecking order to change. However, you could easily get on campus in Ohio State and, you know, and you can go to Alabama and you get one bad interaction and you're like, oh, that's how it's going to be here? Oh, hmm. Or you get one interaction the other way and you're like, oh, that's how it's going to be here. Hmm. And whatever campus that is, and that changes your mind a little bit just because you haven't had those experiences of going out. So I think that that could play into it. I just think it's interesting the landscape of how USC's recruiting department has changed in the time that JT has waited. I mean, now you have a guy like Brian Carrington, you have a Jeff Martin there. Is that something that is a game changer for how long he waited? With, he's seen USC's campus. He's taken an unofficial there, one of the, the couple places he has. But I think it's going to be a whole new experience for him when he gets yeah. there, yeah. which could be really good for USC. I think they could really move the needle with how different it is now. And maybe this even goes back to you know the recruitment of Justin Flo. And I was told that one of the things that they didn't like is they were talking about history so much, talking about history and not what they're going to do in the future and what they're going to do for the player. Maybe USC's learned from that and things have changed since JG2 Maloa took his unofficial because that was – three years ago or so now. So a lot can change in three years. You've seen USC staff be completely overhauled in that time. The defensive staff as well. So I think there's a lot of things that they can use to sell. And like you talked about with um, you know, just having everyone focused on one person and not having a bunch of other people taking visits, I think that goes back to what you know I, I said that Huffman uh, relayed from the coach. When you have 100 people on a junior day and there's only 10 of them that you're really trying to recruit – you think you're eliminating all that by having it Monday through Wednesday. You're not worrying about anyone else. It's all focus is going to be on JT. So I think there are a lot of positives that USC can sell out of this. Can they jump up over Ohio State and Alabama and whoever else may be in front of them? They're they're still in that top five. They've been in the mix there. They have a great opportunity. There's connections there, family connections uh, with JT. There's also, you know, Kerry Colbert has a really good relationship. His uh, JT's mom is from the Oxnard area, knows Kerry Colbert. So a lot of things that could go USC's way, but it will all depend on that visit and the other visits that he takes and, and how the family feels from it. I actually left the room, went to the bathroom during this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, if you're lost, we're, we were answering T-Max questions. <laughs> and that completes the answer. That was a whole segment. Right there. I mean, you know. When you're the number one player, you get your own segment. Fair okay. enough. Fair enough. You get your own visit date, and you get your own segment. There you go. Johnny Five sent us multiple questions. The first one 
is surprisingly not the first time we've had to answer this question on the Parastyle podcast. He says, is Jay Toya entering the transfer portal at all related to the comment Clay Helton made a while back when speaking about Toya? Hint, and he put an elephant emoji. Oh, no. (laughs) As far as I know, and probably we know, it is not related to the elephant comment. I will like to say that I pointed out at that time, if that was my son, I'd be like, what the hell's going on here? Why are you talking about my son in this disparaging manner here? It's fair. I said on the other podcast, my general stance on Clay Heltonisms is that it's who he is, and you shouldn't put too much weight into it. It's just what he is. But elephants don't forget. <laughs> what? That's a fact. That's a fact, ladies and gentlemen. Geological references. Elephants hold grudges is what I'm saying. Johnny Five also asked, uh, will Drake Jackson have a better season than Kayvon Thibodeau? That's borderline take it or leave it territory. Mm. I'm st- I still got to go with Kayvon just because he's more proven. Not that Drake isn't proven because he's done, he's done some great things. But Kayvon has had more success over a longer period. You're talking about two guys that people think are going to be top five picks. So Right. Could be this could be the battle for Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year as well. Ooh, and it could come down to the topic we just talked about. Ooh, JT two. So we're going back into <laughs> if JT two Maloa picks either one of those two schools, both of those being in the top five, again takes pressure off of an edge pass rusher because he's going to be on the other side or in the interior causing havoc as well. So, you know, I think that. You, you always have to look with pass rushers. You always have to look at what's going on around them. Talk about this all the time, about you need two guys to beat their men and get to the backfield because the quarterback usually can avoid the first guy. So you need that second guy to be there as well, um, unless you just straight come from the blind side. So I think that Kayvon Thibodeau right now is set up to have a better season because I'm still not sold on Corey Foreman making an immediate impact when we don't know if he's going to play the same position as Drake Jackson or play opposite of him. You know, it sounds like he, they those guys could just rotate and then play together a little bit. If they're on opposite sides, that just creates much more havoc, I think. What does that look for? Sorry, that look is just me imagining not utilizing Corey Foreman and Drake Jackson at the same time. Right. Well, they'll use them for pass rush situations, like third down and stuff like that. But yeah, but... They, they keep saying that he's going to play that same position, Right. I mean, initially, yes, that was the sort of like selling point, like play that sort of hybrid edge rusher. But Corey, a couple months ago, on uh, when he was on USC's uh, Trojans Live, Trojans Live, they asked him about you know where he's going to start out, and he kind of says they envision me playing defensive end, and this is a quote: they envision me playing defensive end and doing the best I can to stay as mobile as possible. And, you know, with my time being at SC, if it is working my way down to a linebacker due to my body type or just how big I get because nobody knows at the end of the day. But me going in, going in there as big as possible is sort of his plan for right now. So I think we got to wait and see until the fall to where exactly it lines up. But that sounds like they're telling him, we want to put you beside Drake, which can be, you know, that can be very scary for an offense because if you put those two guys beside each other, you gotta you got to bring extra help on that side. Um, you're not going to block them man-on-man, those two guys individually, in pass rush situations for sure. And then when you get in those third and long situations, 
now you're adding Hunter, Hunter Eccles is on one side. You're adding probably Nick, Nick Figueroa is on the other side. Yeah, Tuli coming off the edge, or they move him inside. Jacob Lichtenstein put in the middle. Ishmael Sopcher. There's a lot of fun combinations you have on the defensive line. And the way that USC's defensive line continues to progress as a unit, Drake Jackson could easily have a better season than Kayvon Thibodeau uh, just because the other guys are producing around him as well. So you just talked yourself around again. I didn't actually say that it would happen. You were leading me. I call it a roundabout. I call it a roundabout. Roundabout. I'm not sure about that one. That's the, see, that's a very it's a great question. That would have been a great take it or leave it. it. The ones that I talk my way around and change my mind are the best questions. Gold star for you, Jim. Fair enough. Five. Fair enough. A pitch champ seventeen asked a very original question that we've never heard before ever. <laughs> he wanted to know. That's how you really feel, Keely. When will they fire Clay Helton? I cannot see the future. You know, Chris, I don't have a crystal ball. I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. A Clay Heltonism. Damn. Yeah. Got me. Yep. I did. <laughs> Shock and disrupt. If they go undefeated this year, then it won't be this year. How about that? Now, we have two more questions. In my heart, I believe it should be three. Because our buddy Scott Rodriguez asked an individual question for Chris and for Shotgun, and I didn't get one. I'm not sad. You I'm weren't not bitter. Here. It's you fine. weren't here. It's fine. It's fine. He says, Chris, when will your stand-up career take off? Probably never. No chance. I have you no have- desire to write jokes and perform in front of people. I have thought about doing an improv class. I took one because at Because I, f- I do have a fear of performing in front of people or being up in front of people. Hence my tunnel vision disasters. <laughs> but that is the closest I think I'll ever get to stand up. Unless my buddies implement the punishment for coming in last place of our fantasy football league being you have to do <laughs> go to an open mic open and do mic. Well, now it should. Uh, uh, stand up. I'm going to make sure that happens now. Mm-hmm. Shotgun, your question. Will you ever consider growing the out of control beard back? Sure, I'll consider it. That was a quarantine beard, you know. Also, can we just note as far as hair goes, Chris got a haircut. Why are we noting hair? Because it's On important. On a podcast. It's important. They can't see us. Visual, visual bit. bit. <laughs> this was all one big visual bit. Mm-hmm. This whole podcast is that. Alrighty. And on that note, it's time for me to pass the torch over to Mr. Chris Trevino for Take or Leave It. Sometimes I feel like I still have the hair. <laughs> anyway. Guys, we have the perfect sponsor for this being a late night podcast because, Keely, what time is it? It's dinner time, Chris. It is uh, dinner time. It's pretty late. And I didn't ask Shotgun what time it was because he would have probably said lunchtime. (laughs) I did eat lunch at a normal time today. Yeah, okay. 2 p.m. or so. 3 p.m. But a dinner time podcast means we are partnering up with Buffalo Wild Wings which is proud to announce on this podcast their expanded transfer portal-themed menu for this college football season. (laughs) People are going to be back in sports bars, eating again, watching games, at games. It's going to be great. We got a little taste of this exciting new themed menu with some dishes like tamper and tater tots, (laughs) full of regret risotto, Letter of Intent Lettuce Wraps, Portal Bello Mushroom Burgers, Well done. Transfer Teriyaki Bites, 
comeback bacon wrapped jalapenos, and my personal favorite, leave and never come back, baby, back ribs. <laughs> Take a seat and leave satisfied with minimum wage line cook inspired cuisine. Buffalo Wild Wings. If you're here, it's because better options were closed. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Shout out to BBW. What do you just want to? I go to Buffalo Wild Wings when there's multiple games on. Also, yeah, because you're working. Also true. It's BWW. BWW. Sorry, I got a little tongue tied. Shotgun. What sounded good? Good of those uh, portal portal options. Mm, the tots. The tots. Tampering tots. Yeah. A little tamper in there. Cheese element. The, the only thing is. If you get something called Tamperin' Tots, you got to worry about the wait staff in the back. That is true. That is, it's just a name. All fo- food is up to up to snuff. All quality, all quality. So thank you, Buffalo Wild Wings, for these corporate take it or leave it. Guys, let's just jump into it. The Jay Toya saga is a way worse look for USC than Brew McCoy was. Leave it. Interesting. I'm gonna leave it as well. Okay. I think this plays not as bad on USC in this situation. Whereas McCoy came in and was like, things didn't look like they were up to snuff around here. Let me try Texas out. He was a more high-profile player. And you have to think of the timing. It was right after Cliff Kingsbury left. So it just, yeah, didn't look good. USC (laughs) will gain at least four commitments this month. And I'm not counting Kevin Green because that is not this month. At least four. I'm going to take it. Shotgun is straining over there. <laughs> He's digging deep into that brain. I'm going to leave it. Oh, okay. I'm going to hearken back. Hearken back. Hark. To what you said earlier, Chris, <gasps> about it being a smaller class my own words against having me. to be more selective. So, therefore, they're not going to take those commits that they may have taken. Maybe they'll get to three and they'll be like, there's a fourth guy. And they're like, let's wait on it. Let's just see how it plays out. We still like you, but let's see how it plays out. So okay. Get to four. Okay. You will see USC. What are you doing? That? <laughs> USC will gain at least one 2023 commitment this summer. Take it. Take it. That's a f- certainty. Will that 2023 player sign in 2023? That, that's I'm, a- I'm, yeah, that's a different story. He looks sad. We answered it too quickly. (laughs) (laughs) They're not all winners. USC messed up by not having their own Midnight Madness event. Did you make this up on the spot? No. Take it. But I think it's a unique thing that I don't know that other schools foresaw happening. But I think other schools have been taken notice of the traction that Florida State's at least did. I don't. Did you guys notice anyone else's? Florida State was the one that really. I thought Florida had one. I thought some of the Florida schools had one. I thought at least one other Florida school did it. I mean, Florida State with the little racer. Um, I can't remember what those things are called. No, I think that the Florida State, you know, played it up really well. The the extra things that they did to really sell it, uh, I thought that they did did it up. And I think some other schools were like, oh, maybe we should take something from that. The phrasing was messed up. Yeah. I don't believe that. I don't think it's that egregious. Women's basketball will return to national prominence first over USC baseball. I'm going to take that. I got the B-Red for both over here. 
I will take it. Um, because I think it's easier in women's basketball to make that quick traction than at USC because women's basketball, you're on an even playing field as far as the number of scholarships you can offer. They all cost the same amount. Everyone gets a full ride. Baseball, you get 11.7. USC costs fifty to $60,000. So comparing USC to an in-state school down the street, Cal State Fullerton, if you can only give a quarter scholarship, you're paying a heck of a lot more money to go to USC on a, ha- on a quarter scholarship than you are to a Cal State Fullerton or some other UC school. Logic. He handled that well. He really did. We didn't get to talk about this, but Athlon released their preseason all-pack 12 teams, first, second, third, and a fourth. For those who really wanted some love. Oh, they're going deep. Oh, they're going deep. Uh, Kanai Maga was snubbed by not getting any preseason nod. Is that a take it or leave it? Or is yeah, that like just a that's a statement. statement. Are you taking or leaving that? The only explanation I can maybe think of, considering that there were four lists, yes? Four teams, yes. Four teams, thank you. It was a shortened season, and the linebacker group as a whole didn't really perform well until the end, and he was also injured. I don't trust these teams. There's only two linebackers on the fourth-team defense, while there are five on the third-team defense. Like, where is the consistency here? Like, if you're going to have positions, then there should be a set amount for each team. It shouldn't be some. Sure. Some utility players going around here, so I'm not really worried about it at all. And I think it's a mute moot question. Move it out of here. I don't want this anymore. Oh, whoa. Mutiny. It's not really mutiny. That's his opinion. And we're he, moving he on. Threw it. What's when you throw him overboard? Mutiny. Yeah, so that's, he threw it out. Also, why are there 12 people on the defense? They make this list for people like Shotgun who just get so outraged. There's 13 on the third team defense and 12 on the fourth team defense. Is, it, is this a college sports madness All-American team or what? A troll list? Okay, let's roll through these fun ones. <laughs> <laughs> For context, this is not the first time Chris has said that. So, Chris is very I'm upset. starting over. I'm just starting over. All right, we're going to roll through these fun ones. Because Keely wanted more energy. <laughs> Twitter tips is what it's called where you can tip people on Twitter. Take it or leave it, Keely. So here was my question when this first came out. Is this the first step into Twitter becoming some type of subscription service? Because mm. this is where you kind of get the, hey, are you willing to pass money around this app? And then bada bing, bada boom, you got to pay for dumb tweets. I think you're on to something there. Um I'm leaving it because no one's giving me any money. And then Keely's just going to hold it over me, how much tips she's gotten recently. Oh, look at how many tips I got. I've got this many more followers than you, and I've got more tips. First of all. Perfect Keely impression. Nailed yeah. it. Championship. First of all, Ryan's the one who started the whole follower war. Never cared about that. He just likes to troll. Second of all, if y'all want Timmy, go ahead and Timmy. That's all I got to say. Taking it, leaving it. On no, the I'm, I'm leaving it. Though. Oh, you're both leaving it. Okay. Because I don't want the gateway into having to pay for Twitter. The thing is, like, people are going to get tipped for such bad tweets, too. There's so many interactions with some terrible, terrible tweets. Like, why why do people like or even respond to this? And then people are going to tip those people. And I'm just going to be more angry that those people are getting tipped. And Keely's not getting enough tips for her breaking news stories. Thank you. Wow, okay. Huh. Nice moment. On nice the moment. Cherish that. 
I know, I will. Few and far between. I know. Uh, a skyscraper pool. Is this with the glass bottom? Yes. Leave that hard. Take it. Take it? Oh, yeah. You madman. Oh, yeah. Why? So you saw this. No, but mm-hmm. I just am scared of heights, and I don't like seeing things. You're not things. afraid of heights. You're oh, afraid yeah. of falling. Actually, I usually say that, so yes, you're right. This was in London? London. Yeah, there was a two skyscrapers, and there's a pool nope. in between the two. Nope. Like, like a bridge. Nope, 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 nope. No fun. Much more convenient than going down the elevator to the bottom, to the street <laughs> level, going across, and then coming back up, you know, obviously. So I'm just going to walk across the pool. I'm going to pull my, pull my pants up, take my shoes off, walk across, just stick it over to the, the other side. <laughs> a leave and a take. Yes, I'm definitely taking this. I'm all about the see-through floors, like <laughs> the restaurants that are over water. And they have a glass floor, so you can see the fish underneath in tropical destinations. You guys haven't seen this either? No. I'm just laughing at the fact that you always come up with, like, I'm all about zoological references or, like, the no, African is all about. beetle or something. Like, things that people aren't naturally about, you're about somehow. I think a lot of people are about this. I don't know. Okay. Tweet us if you're a see-through pool fan. See-through floor. See-through floor fan, excuse me. The underwater hotel rooms. Come on. I'm sorry to the see-through floor community. I Wa- stayed in a I stayed in a pod on the side of a mountain once. It was dope. Big waterbed guy? My parents had a waterbed at one time or something. My mom had a waterbed. I don't remember. Is that why your middle name is waterbed? My middle name is not waterbed. <laughs> it's bed wetter. That's different. <laughs> Shotgun waterbed spratling. <laughs> Uh, Domino's has these new self-driving delivery cars. It's like a little pod. They put the pizza in, and then it drives it to you. Self-driving. Is it like the Postmates one? That's like a little robot? No, it looks like a legitimate car. Oh. It goes on the street and stuff. You're talking about the one like in New York City? I think. I went to Oregon State last weekend. Are you telling was, me you got delivered by it? No, I was up in Oregon, uh, in Oregon State, to see some baseball. And at Oregon State, I was walking to go into the stadium, and there's these little tiny things that are about knee height. They were just cruising along, and I was like, "What the hell is this? It's like little robots, like it was a you know futuristic like movie. Wally." And they were yeah, they're and they were delivering food. So it was the first time I saw it. I guess this is similar to what, what she's talking about. It wasn't Postmates, at least the branding on it was campus, you know, something campus related. But I was just like, what the hell is this? And it said something about food delivery. And I was like, whoa, okay, that's interesting. And you didn't do it? I was at the game and I left. They actually, I couldn't even go eat anything in Corvallis because everything closed. All the robots had it. And then I went back to Eugene because there were more things open in Eugene. And then everything was closed because of COVID. So. Mm. There were several fast food places that were closed at 11 o'clock. It was not very fun. So to over, be able to enjoy the food options. Ranch aside <laughs> on the late night <laughs> options in Oregon, are you taking or leaving food delivery robots? Did you ever answer? <laughs> well, I'm going to answer for you because I feel like Shaka would see it and be like, stupid thing, I can deliver faster than you can. Why are you with it? <laughs> 
So I feel like he's a leave it just on that fact alone, but I don't know. I could see one delivering him food in the skyscraper pool. <laughs> Ooh, that's and, fun. And throwing it over. I will take that. And then leave it a Twitter tip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bada bing, bada boom. Look at that. It's called a callback. I, I think it just gets us closer and closer to automated vehicles. Which he's all about. Are this you? man would sleep. Yeah. Oh, oh, this oh. This man would Nap just. Time. I should, I <laughs> should know time. this. Yeah. How much work this man could get done. Exactly. Okay. On a drive to Reno. I got seven and a half hour drives to and from this weekend, so. Go to Tucson. All right, we're wrapping this up. I recently discovered that the San Diego Padres have what they call a swag chain, similar to, you know, turnover chains or the what we've talked about, which spawned Turnover Traveler. Yes. But are you in or are you taking or leaving baseball, the oldest sport in the history of sports, having something like a swag chain? Not the oldest sport in the history of sports, for one. <laughs> I meant like the oldest archaic rules. And well, here's the thing. Like, you can't, like, how dare Tatis hit a, a grand slam because they're already up by so much. Like, how did they let a swag chain slide? It all started with college, actually. College baseball, they've had, there's been various things. Arkansas has, like, the Razorback hat that they had, the foam. So when someone hits a home run, they come back to the dugout. They get put on their head. There's cowboy hats for Oklahoma State. It all starts from college. Same thing happened with the football. Started with the turnover chain at Miami. Worked its way up. You see it in the NFL occasionally now, too. Innovation. Yeah. The innovation starts with the college kids. And then there's also some failures along the way, like the trash can at Tennessee. But yeah, and I, the Houston Astros. I'm taking it. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Um, bit. Count it. I'm definitely taking this. I'm all for the continued funification <laughs> of Major League Baseball, which is difficult with Rob Manfred because it doesn't seem like he wants that to happen. Yeah. I plus one that. I don't want to see baseball die in my lifetime because I'm a rare young baseball fan. So would the Angels have a avoided the bullpen collapse chain? <laughs> <laughs> the look on Keely's face. <laughs> what would it be? What would the what would be represented by a? Oh, uh, it would be like a um, an unused barf bag. Oh, that's good. <laughs> How does that make sense? Because if they got then, to the bullpen, then you, the barf bag would be full. Right. I hate all of you. Guys, baseball season ended for me while I was on vacation. Trout got hurt. It's all over. It's done. And the final part of this, a family feud swag chain. <gasps> I thought we've already talked about this, have we? Nope. Take or leave us having our own swag chain. Make a good point. Good burn on Keeley. Does, does that have to be a chain? I mean, I guess it could be whatever you want it to like be. A... So what, like you want the... Turnover sword like USCS? Can yeah. it be a mini donkey? It's ripping off or turnover mini pony. If you just want to go straight to turnover traveler. No. I'll take it. But I'm hesitant on the chain. Because I see here's the thing. I envision me throwing it at you when you burn <laughs> oh, it. Oh, okay. Which is scary because my so initial thought was like So we're getting rid of the sword idea. Yeah. A tomahawk, a saw, something just saw. Bow. Swag saw. Got it. <laughs> it rolls we'll up the do tongue. It. We'll do it. I think we should have one, and I think we should sell a replica version of it. Look at that. He's all about the... the For merchandising yep. over here. 
Hey, if anyone has ideas for what we should throw at each other during the podcast, tweet us. Yeah, if you think of what should be our swag item for the podcast, let us know. Yeah. We might name it in your honor. You never know. Probably not. Probably not. Sorry. <laughs> and that's all I got. And what? And what? Guys, you're approached by a publishing company, and they're like, we're going to give you a $500,000 advance Ooh. to take a year off and write any book you want. Any book. You have a year to write a book. Okay. $500,000 advance. What book are you guys writing? Oh, the, oh, excellent question. I'm finishing my undergrad thesis, which <laughs> I've already written 100 and something pages of a book, so. That doesn't count. <laughs> what was your thesis? It was a historical fiction about a white guy playing with a Negro League team, the 1935 Pittsburgh Crawfords. Oh, that counts. Five Major League Baseball Hall of Famers, quite possibly the most talented team ever. You said historical fiction? Mm-hmm. So it's based off something, but you're just creating a novelization of it? Okay. I will accept that. I will accept that. Do you have a title? Out of my league. Ooh. Damn. These movie rights? Hmm. These movie rights? Who's going to play that? Miles Teller? Yeah, that sounds about right. Keely? I've mentioned my love for Hans Zimmer before on this podcast. Okay. And I'm in another deep dive currently okay. of Hans Zimmer's soundtrack. So I would actually write about Hans Zimmer so that I could meet him. I could like, like, a, like get a, some music a biography? overload. Something like You're gonna that. You're going to pen his biography? That or just like the history of him and his relationship with Christopher Nolan. I don't know. Okay. Sounds like a coffee table book, but... Yeah, that's fine. I'm, okay, fine th- th- that, that's a book. Lots of pictures. Less writing for me. Let's go. <laughs> Fair enough. You both filled out the prompt. Thank, Thank you. you. So you can pick up those non-existent books at your local bookstore, which don't exist. Whenever those get written, we'll also put those on the merch site that we don't have. <laughs> Perfect. With the replica. Uh, saw swag. <laughs> swag saw. Swag saw. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Are You're you welcome. Yeah, I'm done. I'm done. Go back to you. Torch is yours. All righty, guys. Any final thoughts before we wrap up this podcast? Scheduling note, Shotguns Bradling is going to be the member of the feud leaving us next. I'm taking my microphone with me, so I don't know what you're talking about. Really? Of course. Okay. So, TBT, when, or stay try, tuned. It's that part of the year. I'm on the road. Shotgun spring schedule. No. We've told Summer. You. Summer schedule. Not yet. June 21st. It'll be like five different states I'll be in. Five straight weekends, I think. So we'll, we'll, the audio quality for Shotgun might be a little sketchy at times. But but the wow. takes will be A1. <laughs> Not to be confused. Steak sauce. And one. Leave it. Don't come baby back. Ribs. What were the NLI related? Letter of intent. Uh, but no, NLI. NLI Naked Wings. Did you say that? No. (laughs) I only gave you a taste of the menu, guys. I don't (laughs) want to give you everything. I was looking for the NLI stuff. I don't know if it was nachos, minus lettuce, and I. (laughs) I. (laughs) I love me some I. I You said nachos, lettuce, and I. (laughs) I don't know what starts with I, okay? All righty, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Family Feed Podcast. 
The boys are back in town. Excited to be back with the boys. The boys have been in town. Keely just returned. That's I'm it. I'm one of the boys. Come on, come on. Keely got back from vacation. That's why she's so much energy. <laughs> Probably. Alrighty, that's gonna wrap it up. That's Grace That Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next time. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.